Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Pushkin. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right, enjoy the episode. This is Wintertime. A song off Nora Jones' album that came out this past spring, Begin Again. Malcolm Gladwell and Bruce Headlam have absolutely fallen in love with this tune. Wilco's frontman Jeff Tweedy started writing it some time ago before discarding it somewhere along the way. During a recording session with Nora Jones, the two of them picked it back up and brushed it off together to make this. In case you don't remember, Nora Jones had a massive hit 17 years ago with her debut single, Don't Know Why, which has basically become a standard in the American songbook thanks to her minimalist performance. After that, she did a run of solo albums, but also did a lot of collaborating. A song with Ray Charles, a song with Willie Nelson, whole albums with producer Danger Mouse. But recently, Nora's discovered a new way of collaborating. She talks with Malcolm and Bruce about why this new way feels so good. She also takes a seat at the piano and plays through some of the new songs on her record, and also talks about some of the ways she coped with her sudden fame in 2002. This is Broken Records Season 3, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here is Malcolm and Bruce's conversation with Nora Jones from Bridge Studio in Brooklyn. Bruce and I are uh, mildly obsessed with Wintertime, and we thought we would start there. Um, the song, not the season. The song, not the season. <laughs> okay. Um, we want to go as deep as you want to go on <laughs> that song and where it comes from and how you went about writing it. And 
Well, I, I don't want to disappoint you too much on that one, but I went to record with Jeff Tweedy in Chicago, and which was really amazing and fun. We wrote uh, several songs together, and this was one that he sort of had the scraps already yeah. lying around. So we picked it up and dusted it off and tweaked it and put some clothes on it and changed it around, and then now, it sort of so became... Even there, I have a million <laughs> questions. When did you first meet Jeff Tweedy? It must be at least 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Probably, no, more, because I, I think I met him for the first time on my first record when I did the Jules Holland show, so that must have been 2002. Gosh, yeah, it's been a long time. And Wilco did it as well. And yeah. um, I was already a fan, because that was right when Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was out. Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, I've just sort of seen him around a lot. We work with a lot of the same people, and we've always been really friendly. Wilco had me and my band, Puss in Boots, come hang out with them. When they opened up for Neil, they let us sit in on Jesus, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> which was really fun. That must have been fun. Yeah. Which you've done too, so Which we covered, yeah. yeah. So we covered Jesus, et cetera, uh, in this band I'm in called Puss in Boots, Sasha Dobson and Catherine Popper and myself. And um, we did the bridge school with them one year, and and Kat and Sasha are pretty saucy, and Kat goes up to Tweety and says, hey, dude, are you going to do Jesus, et cetera, in your set? And he's like, I don't know. We might do that. And she's like, well, we're putting it in our set, and we're going first. So <laughs> so we literally just like went ahead and played their song before they went on. And we just enjoyed each other's, like kind of ribbing each other after that. Yeah. No, it is the, so there's two categories here. There are categories of people that you're fans of mm-hmm. and categories of people that you want to work with. Mm-hmm. Are they the same or are they different? Well, I think in making lists of collaborating with people, because this is what I'm trying to do right now, is just do these singles and work with different people and with low pressure stakes, you know, like just one song is the only goal. Um, And I figured out that, yes, they are different. I can be a fan of someone and have no idea how to insert myself into their world or them into mine. Yeah, That doesn't mean it can't happen once you get in the room. It might be totally magical, but... Unless I have some kind of a, a idea of something I want to try, then I'm not going to just reach out to somebody and say, let's go get in a room and just stare at each other, <laughs> you know. So, it's easier. I can imagine. Yeah. It's not hard for me to understand that you would listen to Wilco and meet Jeff Tweedy and say, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think we should probably do a record together at some point. It was so fun. And, you know, yeah. we both play enough of enough instruments to sort of just have the two of us with the drummer his son Spencer Tweedy was playing drums and we we did all the stuff with just the three of us and um that kind of recording is really fun so you have this idea now that you want to do these kind of one-offs with people yeah that are where did that how did you come to that it's a really it sounds like a really really by the way I'm surprised that more people don't do that but I'm well I think a lot of people do do it but they don't like call it what it is maybe but yeah. um it was actually my husband's idea. He was he was saying, you have all these resources to do something easy like this. Why don't you do it? <laughs> I was like, gosh, why don't I? <laughs> That's a great idea. And what a fun way to just make music. I have little kids, you know. I don't want to – my my attention span is very short, Yeah, just like everybody's nowadays. But, you know, it's it's really fun to be musical and be doing things and have it come out quicker than if you do a full album, you know? And well, that's why sort it? of the nature of the internet and everything. Yeah. You know? It's 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 good. But a, a naive question. Why is it easier to to work with someone who you may know as a friend but haven't actually worked before than it is to work with someone who you've been writing songs with and making music with for 10 years? 
Well, for me, I mean, I don't like to take a long time to record music or write songs or, I mean, I'll think about a song if it's not done, you know, it's not done and you want to tweak it. But, you know, some people go in and they take three years to make an album. That's not how I get bored and I want to move on to something else. So for me, I mean, it's fun. Three days in a studio with someone is plenty to get one song. Um, and in, in all these cases, we've gotten three to seven songs each session, which has been great. And maybe not all of them are amazing, but um, it's really fun. It's just a fun way to work. It's low pressure f- mm-hmm. to get somebody to commit to something, somebody who maybe I don't know th- that well or is very busy. Um, I don't know. I For me, it's not scary so much as it is. It has been a little bit stressful because there have been many of these sessions where I've gone in and I'm so underprepared. I'm like, okay, I don't really have a full song at all in case we can't come up with anything. Because I try to have something in case, you know, we're drawing blanks in there. Um, what is, what is, what is, another night, dumb question. What is something? <laughs> I have all these voice memos on my phone, you know, that I make in the bathtub because that's the only peace and quiet I get. And, you know, some of them are just like a small snippet of a melody. It's like, da, 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 whatever it is. And sometimes those little somethings stick in my head for months or years, and I'll go back to them. And that's like when I worked with Thomas Bartlett, that's all I had was I had a few lyrics and I had a few melodies, and we just turned them into songs in the studio. And I guess my point is like, sometimes I'm a little stressed and underprepared when I'm going into these sessions. But I know and I have faith in the process and that when I get into the studio and I can focus and like all the noise isn't surrounding me and I'm with somebody who inspires me and hopefully they are the same, um, then it happens. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. We haven't gotten nothing yet. Yeah. (laughs) I'll say that. So how how many ideas would you have on your phone right now? Right now I'm pretty dry, but I have a lot of old ideas. Yeah. And so you can't change phones because you're there. Well, yeah, exactly. You're um, locked in. I'm locked in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I miss my old voice recorder sometimes. What's the longest time that's elapsed between a snippet of an idea and a song that actually appeared on an album? There's a song I wrote with um, this friend, Ilhan Ersahan. I used to be in a band called Wax Poetic when I first moved to New York in like 1999. And we wrote this song together. And... um that band didn't make another album and it kind of petered out and I it continued without me. I, I wasn't in it anymore. But then I kind of dug up that song and I put it on my third album about, so that's how many about years? six years later six years maybe. Later. I have you beat. Yeah. Because I just did a podcast episode that was inspired by an interview that I did in 1992. Wow. And I thought about it. For that long? For 25 years. And I always wanted to do something and finally did it. So I love that. In other words, my point is, you know, you can revisit this stuff when you're as old as I am. Yeah. These ideas don't really leave your sort of being until they become something. But I think for a lot of people listening to old ideas, it would make them intensely uncomfortable because they would hear the the mistakes, the things Mm. that aren't so good. Are you like that at all? Can you can you turn off whatever critical voice you have that yeah, I'm not too critical of myself because I I learned when I when I first my first record came out, I had just started writing songs because that voice I could not turn off until then. I wrote songs in high school and they were so horrible. I was so embarrassed. 
and I never wanted to do it again. Did you perform them? Well, like I went to this performing arts high school, which was Mm -hmm. amazing. And so we were all very encouraged. So like it ended up on the, you know, the high school tape. So yeah, I, you know, it was out there and Mm -hmm. and I was like, I want to put it back in. I don't (laughs) like it. But um, yeah, when you're young, that stuff can be a little embarrassing. And so I definitely shut down. And then I got into songwriting when I moved to New York. I only had two, two and a half songs on my first album because I was really new at it. And then after that, after a couple albums, I got more and more into it. And, I, and then I got really kind of down on myself and frustrated. And then I had this whole thing with songwriting. And, and I finally realized I don't have to show anybody anything. Just finish the damn song. Do as much as you want to it. Make it as cheesy as it is or whatever. And then in the end, you can discard it. You don't have to show the world if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. But see it through. That's a good lesson for it's Everybody. a good lesson for a lot of things, but especially yeah. songwriting, because you but, never but know. But that's what kind of freed you up. To, it kind of freed me up, yeah. Be- because you did start writing after you became famous. I started writing more, yeah. Yeah, and you learned the guitar yeah. after you became famous, so that takes some nerve. I mean, for me, I was just trying to stay inspired. The The fame and the kind of crazy whirlwind that was my first record, um, it took a lot of, took a lot away from like the point, which was staying inspired and and making music I really loved, you know? Mm-hmm. When you're working with somebody in the kind of pairings that you're describing now, um, how often do they make you realize you may have been wrong about something? Like you're talking about how you have these little things and sometimes they don't work. How often does the second voice in the room say, wait a minute, that does work? I love it when that happens. <laughs> That's like my favorite thing. It does happen? Yeah, it happens. Sometimes, you know, when you get in a room with somebody... You're like, well, I have this idea. It might be stupid. Or like, it's your nature to be self-deprecating, mine anyway, to be self-deprecating and not be like, check out this awesome idea. <laughs> and, but, you know, like, oh, I don't know. Is this dumb? Check this out. No, that's not dumb. That's like what you want to hear for sure. Yeah. <laughs> are there particular collaborators who are just good at that, at hearing things that you don't hear? Brian Burton, I mean, Danger Mouse is, he's really good at that. He's amazing at it. And not only musically, he has hooks for days, but also um, lyrically, he's really good at it. He was someone I was really self-conscious. Like, I I wasn't nervous about the project, but when it came down to lyrics sometimes, I was sort of nervous to show him my lyrics sometimes because it was very, it was all very personal. Lyrics are very different than showing a musical idea. They're they're way more exposed, I think, and Mm -hmm. naked especially for someone who's a little late to the lyric party, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I was definitely more self-conscious showing him my lyrics. And I I don't know that he was, but his lyrics are really great. The more we wrote together, the more self-conscious I got because I realized his lyrics were so great. But I was also very comfortable with him. So I thought, well, he's like my my big brother. Let's, uh, Let's just do this. But he's really good at that. Is there a song that comes to mind from your collaboration with him that you think is... So the best example of the two of you working together? Hmm. The whole album was super collaborative. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of like scraps that were brought to the table as much as, you know, some other things. But lyrically, like I've, I've been going back and I love playing songs from that album. Sometimes there's songs from old albums that I just, that I still like, but I, I don't really connect with at this moment in time. Doesn't mean I won't again. It doesn't mean I never have. 
but that's playing live. That's kind of how it goes. Pick Mm -hmm. songs that you're connecting with in the moment. And some of the songs, when I throw them into the set from that record, it's like, wow, these lyrics are so great. (laughs) I'm so happy. (laughs) You know? Yeah, we've been doing a song called Say Goodbye. And the lyrics are really good, I think. Did you try and do it in the set? Because that that album had such a great sound. It's yeah. it's his sound. That's him, yeah. And sure. I don't mean that like he no. makes the same sound over and over. He's, no, he's I, a little I, like I Brian agree. Eno. He's sort of, it's like he's created a little universe somewhere that you kind of yeah. float into. Do you try and kind of reproduce that on stage or do you do it in a different setting? I did more when we toured that album. And we I, mean, I, had, I had a great band who could do it without it being contrived. You know, like we only had, um, it was a five-piece band. It was me a keyboard organ player, uh, guitar, bass and drums. It wasn't like it wasn't like we were obsessed with recreating the album sound, but we did a good job of of doing it. Um now, however, I'm really into stripping it back a little bit and not trying to recreate it. And I'm into rearranging some things. And especially with that album, because the soundscape was so specific, unless it's a natural thing for me to recreate live, uh, I'd rather not try to like be married to the sounds and just serve the song because they're great songs even without all that and that's the great thing about that album when we come back malcolm and bruce pick back up with their obsession with the song wintertime that noah wrote with wilco's jeff tweedy reboot your credit card with apple card the only credit card designed for iphone it gives you up to three percent daily cash back on every purchase plus apple card has no fees not even hidden ones Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position: warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer, yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. 
the hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. We're back with more from Nora Jones. So Jeff Tweedy, <laughs> do you call him up? Is that Tweed. what you do? Hey, Tweed. I call him Tweed. No, Tweed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> how did you, who, how did you, I want, I, want, I, want, I want the absolute details on this. You just call him out of the blue and said, hey, let's work together? Well, Jeff Tweedy, I used to have his phone number, but he stopped returning my, my texts. And then I got this text once from him. Like, I hadn't heard from him in two years. He's like, hey, uh, I just got all your texts. I'm sorry. I don't really check my phone much. I was like, dude, <laughs> that's fine. But that was like <laughs> a long time ago. But, um. So I didn't know if I had his info anymore, but um, yeah, Tom Schick is a great engineer who I used to work with in New York a lot, and he moved to Chicago to be Jeff's house engineer at his mm -hmm. studio. And he, so Tom's an old friend of mine. So I had just told Tom, I said, "Hey, here's what I'm trying to do. See if Tweety's into it. I would love to do this with you and him because that that would be mm -hmm. a dream to go to Chicago, check out the studio, finally work with Tom again, and work with Jeff." Let's keep going on this narrative. You show up. You're, you walk in, do you, what do you have with you when you enter the studio to work with Jeff Tweedy? I had a couple scraps. I was very underprepared, but I had, a, I had a couple little tiny ideas. One of them was completely written spontaneously on the couch and that's the version that's recorded pretty much. What song was that? Um, it's called Song With No Name. Mm -hmm. And we were just sitting, I think that's the first thing we did the first day we were both kind of shy, even though we knew we shouldn't be. I think he was a little shy and I was a little shy about just jumping in and giving all our ideas. You know, we're sensitive people. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're artists, right? So um, we're just sitting on the couch. He has a collection, insane collection of guitars. So I just picked one up and it was tuned really weird. And so we both just started playing. I'm not a great guitar player, but like it's just a little acoustic part. Mm -hmm. And he and I just both started playing this part together. And Tom is such an amazing person to work with because he just had a mic set up and he just press record. And so we just started playing it. And then I started like, da, 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 da. and then I started singing and I was just singing gibberish words that were just coming to me. And it was cool. And then, you know, three days later, we went back to listen to that because we kind of moved on and started doing the, the real stuff. <laughs> and then... Um, 
Tom was like, check this out from the first day. And it was awesome. And we we both really loved it. And we added a bunch of uh, other instruments to it. Uh-huh. And we just kept exactly what we had done on the couch. And there was one lyric I remember thinking, I was like, Tom, I wish I could change that lyric. He's like, well, you can't really change it unless it sounds really similar. And we double your vocal and you could kind of flub it. But because it was just, we were on the couch and we were all singing and I was singing with the guitars and everything. So I just left it. But Wait, how much when you first start, was everything made up in the room on the couch? Of that song, yeah, melody and lyrics and the the main guitar part, yes, yeah. And when you start that process of imp- improvisation, the very first iteration, how much do you have? Do you have like ten seconds? Do you have twenty seconds? Like when you first sort of, when it first sort of comes to you? Well, we started doing it. I mean, I don't know how much he recorded before we sort of had the take. Mm-hmm. But probably we were playing like five minutes, maybe just playing the part and I was humming along. Mm-hmm. And then um, he's like, all right, well, let's just try one with what you have. And then and then it started. And what's he, what's Jeff Tweedy doing when you're you're humming and playing on the couch? He's playing on the couch he's too. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a beautiful guitar player. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing about these collaborations. Like I might have nothing and be kind of panicked. What if we get nothing? But then you sit with somebody who's inspiring and it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, he, I guess he's so, and he's so incredibly prolific and yes. has been so that way for so long that I guess there's no anxieties about him drawing a blank. No, and it was interesting because I had this one idea because the way I work in the studio, the way I worked with Brian and the way I've worked recently is is sort of just like, let's write it all down. Okay, what about this idea? What about this? And he, he I had this one idea and we started this other song that, again, has not been released, but um, he really wanted to take it home. He said, I do my best lyrics tweaking when I'm like at four in the morning. I'll go to bed, and then I, he says he wakes up, and he does it, and then he goes back to bed. Really? And I was like, okay, but I'm dying to do it now. I want to do it right now. You know, I was kind of like, ah. <laughs> but I was super happy to have him do it. I didn't, yeah. it wasn't that I needed to be part of it or control it. I was just impatient, you know? Wait, so, did he show up the next day? So he having, showed up the next day. Having woken having, up at 4 a.m.? Ha- having done that. I think it was on winter time. He tweaked some stuff. But yeah, and then there was this other song where I actually did that because I think uh. he kind of inspired me a little bit. And so, I, and then this other song, when, I had done it. You When you see it. You, I didn't wake up at 4 a.m., but I did it before <laughs> I came in. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Now, do you typically... Once you've got a melody, you work melody and then words later? Not really. No? Usually melody words come together, at least some words. And then those words are so cemented in the melody, it's impossible to remove them. It's like really hard to change the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes there's a melody that has no words. And sometimes more recently, and not in the past for me, but more recently I've had a lot of words with no melodies. But usually it's both, and then they kind of, you kind of, I don't know, it's easier to kind of morph morph from a, a lyric melody that's already married. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it hard once you've got the words to come up with a melody then? It's really fun to find a melody for like a poem or a lyric, because I've done that with other people's words before, and it is very freeing. Mm. It, it seems more free. Um but when you have a melody and you're trying to fit lyrics into those nooks and crannies, that is definitely hard, harder, uh, unless it's just already kind of inspired with it. Uh, we did an interview with uh, Linda Perry, 
who worked with Dolly Parton. I don't know you've worked with Dolly Parton. Yeah. And she told this amazing story. They did, I guess, six songs for the, the Dumplin' soundtrack. Yeah. And they worked all these songs. And and Dolly Parton the whole time was, well, I don't write much anymore. She did, really? Oh. So anyway, she went back. She wrote the lyrics to all six songs in one day. Who did? Linda did? No, no. Dolly, Dolly Parton did. She just went ahead and... She's like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm Dolly. Well, you I know got her. this. <laughs> yeah. And they were, I don't know and if they you were know, great. they were great. Yeah. They're fabulous. Yeah. Of course. She's an amazing songwriter. Mm-hmm. Writing is a weird thing. I, I used to get freaked out because I didn't have any ideas or I wasn't inspired and I didn't have anything happening. And I have a lot of really close friends who are songwriters. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I see them go this through the same thing. But I've seen myself go in and out of it. And it's like something always happens Mm. eventually. You go through phases. You go through phases where you're not writing. And then you go through phases where you're writing a lot. And sometimes there's an in-between. But it's nice to not freak out when you're not. Because you know it'll eventually come again. Did you listen to a lot of country music growing up? Yeah. I mean, my mom is from Oklahoma. So my grandparents and my mom. Absolutely. I grew up on Willie Nelson and Bob Wills and mm-hmm. and Linda Ronstadt and a lot of great music. But it wasn't until I moved to New York when I was 20 that I kind of realized, oh, yeah, I love that music. <laughs> I didn't really think about myself as ever singing that kind of music. And then and then I moved to New York. And I was like, I'm from Texas, people. <laughs> give me some <laughs> give me some three chord songs. And then when I started writing songs. I started writing on guitar because I lived in a tiny shoebox in the East Village. I didn't have a piano. And all those jazz chords that I'd learned in high school and college that I loved so much, I sure didn't know how to play those on guitar. I knew like five chords on guitar. So the first song I wrote when I moved to New York and I finally like got out of my head and it was probably four in the morning and I wrote Come Away With Me, which is really just a few chords. And it's really kind of a country song, I mean. That's sort of what it is. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it on guitar, and I can barely play it, so. What would have happened if you'd moved to Nashville and not New York? You ever thought about that? I know, right? I don't know. I probably would have gone full, like, anti-country. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Or I would have gone full country. (laughs) You were born in New York. Yeah. And then your mother moved to... We moved to Dallas when I was four, because she was from Oklahoma, and her her dad was... Sick. I don't know why we moved, actually, but I feel very from Texas. But yeah, I was born in New York, and I moved back here when I was 20. Mm-hmm. But she's something of a character. She was in the music business. Did she just have a lot of <laughs> records uh, that you could listen to? Um, She was a music fan. I mean, yeah, she did. I, li- I grew up listening to Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin and old country music, Judy Garland, She had, and Brazilian music. She lived in Brazil when she was in her early 20s. And... um. She had all these great Brazilian records. Do you remember a first record or two that kind of... From her? Whatever got you interested in being a musician? Well, she um, she was always playing Aretha Franklin. And at Christmas, she would always play like Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> and um, we went to church. We went When we moved to... Te- I mean, I don't remember much about New York because I was three or four when we left. But when we moved to Texas... We started going to this Methodist church, and I joined the church choir. And the the choir teacher was a former Catholic, so we were singing all these Latin hymns, <laughs> <laughs> which was very funny for this Texas Methodist church. But um, so that's kind of where I got my start, and I think she she recognized my 
joy in music and she got a piano and got me piano lessons and stuff. Well, I want to go back to Jeff Tweedy in the wintertime. I want you to. I still want to know about, so you said something at the very beginning that he had a few discarded scraps and you guys brushed them off. Mm-hmm. So how much of a scrap did he have? Do you remember? Um, it was a pretty big one. I mean, it, the song was definitely sort of a shell of itself. And he played me a bunch of, we kind of got stuck one day. Like the yeah. second day we were a little stuck. And I was like, you know, I I, I showed you mine now. <laughs> Show me your scraps, <laughs> basically. Do you have anything? And I mean, he is prolific and he records constantly. Yeah. And he has his own studio. So, yes, he's got a lot of scraps. And they're fully, like, some of them are recorded with a full band, but um, they're not necessarily finished or or the way that they end up. And he played me a bunch of stuff, and it was all really cool. But it, there's this thing that's happened to me over the last 10 years where it's it's become harder and harder for me to cover other people's songs because I'm I'm, I'm enjoying making my own songs now. And so for me, you know, to connect with someone else's words and music and enough to sing them. And it's not that I don't want to sing them, but to to be able to own it, you have to own it to cover a song. I have to basically sing it like it's mine. So nothing was completely catching me in that way. And then, and then wintertime came on. I was like, I love this. <laughs> what was it in wintertime that you did react to? Do you know? Was it the lyric or... Um, the feeling of it? I liked the feeling of it. The lyrics were kind of half there. And um, yeah, I li- I just it just felt good. I liked the tempo. I liked the vibe. It's funny when you write with somebody else. Everybody has a chord structure that they tend towards. And his is specific to him. And it sounds like Jeff, you know? It and, sounds, and, and what is that? Can you it's describe? like a lot of minor twos <laughs> and, right. um, instead of four chords. Um, yeah. And I liked it, but I liked it. it. had a real flavor. It had a real hymn flavor, you know? Mm-hmm. When we come back, Nora Jones sings. She breaks down her song, Wintertime, and explains how the minor two chord is part of the Wilco sound. Snag a Job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, 
get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the customer experience category at the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with Nora Jones, breaking down the song she co-wrote with Jeff Tweedy, Wintertime. So that's our favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite song on the album? Um, I really like, um, I mean, I like them all, but I really like just a little bit. I really like that one because we've been playing it live and it's really fun to play live. I also really like My Heart is Full because live it's taken on a whole new life. And, and that's sort of like, you know, what I'm saying about these songs being alive. Yeah. Staying alive, keeping them alive. It's a what, whole other thing. What's changed when you're playing that one live? Well, my heart is full. I did in this in in the studio with Thomas Bartlett, and he's got all these cool electronics, and it's amazing. But live, it's just bass, drums, piano, and organ. And 
sonically, we can take it to an intense place, but it's not the same exact sonics. You know what I mean? Can you give us a taste of that one? Oh, it's fantastic. So it gets like more primal, yeah, you know, yeah. than mm-hmm. electronic, which is sort of how it is on the album. Anyway. What's the relationship in your mind between the live version and the and the album version? I mean, do you do you do you start to favor one over the other? Yeah, I think I usually start to favor the live version because it becomes its own thing and it's hard to um you know, you can't go back in time and change it. But but that doesn't mean that I always do. It's just when you're in the middle of a tour and you're starting to feel something differently. It's it's a funny thing because songs morph. And usually they start in the studio. You're not playing them live a bunch before you go in to record, though I've done that before too. Yeah. And that is a whole other thing. You find an arrangement that really works live and then you go in to try to capture it, but it never quite has the magic of singing a song for the first time, kind of, and capturing it for the first time for me. It just depends. So... When you're sitting down with, is that song, I don't think, did that have a lot of piano on the original? No, there's no piano on the um, recorded version, but on live, it's instead of doing, you know, instead of trying to get a delay and repeat my voice, it just, you know, mm-hmm. and then we added an instrumental section. It's fun. Don't stop. This is so much fun. Yeah. Wait, wait, give me, give, give me, let's, so you, you said another one, there's another one that you really love off the album. Um which which is oh just a little bit just a little bit that's right yeah. yeah so how did that one who's how did that one come about my friend sarah oda um had a song that she gave me cuz i was going in the studio and i was completely unprepared again <laughs> this is a great theme of your life <laughs> i was completely unprepared except yeah. i was so prepared we got seven songs in that 3 day session so uh-huh. i actually was super inspired but more scattered maybe yeah i had a lot of snippets i had some finished songs cuz i was going in with Brian Blade and Chris Thomas who is a little band i be- i had been playing with anyway she gave me this song in case i needed something because I've recorded her songs before and um the song was cool she had a melody and everything it wasn't unfinished really it just didn't have any instruments on it it was just her singing the melody and I had the lyric sheet and um we were kind of going in a different direction that song kind of got pushed on the back burner and we were kind of in a, a lull and so I went to the organ instead of the piano and I just started sort of and I started singing her lyrics because they were just there, just because I was singing gibberish. But then the, I just saw her lyrics and I started singing her lyrics over what we were playing, which was completely separate from the song she had written. Oh. And I took her lyrics and I accidentally just like put them into this new song. And then we called it Space Jam and we never listened to it again. And then the engineer sent it to me the next month and was like, this was kind of cool. Do you remember this? <laughs> and I asked her, I was like, can I, you, can I, you know, is it cool that I use the lyrics in this way instead? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. As long as I can record the song in the other way someday. I said, that's fine. <laughs> but what I, I really like about it is that her rhyme structure, her original song was, the. the I'm not going to sing you the melody, mm-hmm. but it, uh, it was like, I'll sing you the rhythm of the way her melody was. It was, I'm not the one you can't ignore. I'm not like those you've had before. That was like the rhythm of it. And so I I, I feel like the rhythm of the rhyme scheme got kind of flipped around. And I don't know, I, I think that's kind of interesting because it was written 
with one intention, but then flipped around, it's kind of backwards in a, in a cool way. Can you give us a... So, so here's... So, you know, I added things here and there, and her basic lyric is just the... It was kind of turned upside down mm-hmm. rhythmically, totally unintentionally. It was just sitting in front of me, you know, but... Does that happen a lot with music you get, you, the people, things people give you? I don't often do that. But um, I did write another song on this EP uh, from a poem from a friend called Begin Again. And, you know, her lyric was, I feel like the rhythm of the rhyme scheme was a little bit more true to what she wrote. But, yeah, like I said, I don't do it a ton, but I do like the idea of lyrics and music coming from two different brains and putting them together is completely not how probably the one person would think. You know, I you like s- that. You sound like artistically you're you're growing more and more open. Yeah, for sure. Is that just is that just come from increased self confidence? What's the what's the reason for that? Is that that's because usually don't you think of people usually go in the opposite direction as they get older? Do they, they get more set. In their I don't ways? know. I don't want to though. I think I've become more and more open for sure. And I like it. I've I've been more inspired by it. I learn new things and I'm better for it, you know? I know what I'm good at. I know what people, some people think of me as what I do, and that's fine. But I like to open it up and sort of try different things. Yeah. I don't think I ever go outside of myself in a way that's not true to myself. Thanks to Noah Jones for talking and playing us through some of the tracks on her album, Begin Again. If you couldn't tell, Malcolm and Bruce were thrilled. You can check out more of the album by visiting brokenrecordpodcast.com and subscribing to our playlist for this episode. You can also sign up for a behind-the-scenes newsletter while you're there. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell and Milo Bell. Our theme music is by the great Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episode, our very first live taping of the podcast. It's Malcolm Gladwell in conversation with Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers at the Palace Theater in Los Angeles. So thanks for listening. Stay tuned for next week. I'm Justin Richmond. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. 
If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.